Hey, uh, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of Gary Talks 2. I am the aforementioned Gary, of course. And I'm uh, first off, I got to apologize because I'm a couple of days late with this. I've been waiting for something to uh, to come together, and it finally did. So there will be a surprise, uh, shameless self-promotion announcement at the end of this episode. So stick with me. So I'm really glad you stopped by to listen in and share some of your precious time with us today. And I, I hope that you may want to join me here for an interview on the topics topics that I raise. And I'll have details on how to do that at the end of this episode. So in the meantime, sit back, grab a delightful icy cold beverage of your choice, and let's go. So uh, I have to admit that in the last two episodes of this podcast, I strayed just a tad out of the uh, antebellum period, which is the main time frame for my family saga, Journey, the Story of an American Family. The first two volumes are out now as a reminder and available, and I'm hoping volume three will be out by the end of the year or soon thereafter. So I've been doing a ton of research this uh, for this one, as the story of the Woodbid family is going to take a turn at the close of the Civil War. Uh, dare I say, an unexpected turn. It's just a slight little spoiler alert there. Those last two episodes were titled Thieves of Freedom. I had to go out of my era just a tad to fully expand on the subject. But as I have said before, the aim of this podcast is to show how the problems of the distant past are still here with us today, making life difficult for all Americans, but most especially those in minority communities. So as you saw coming in, the title of this episode is Deniers of Voting Rights. Since this is obviously still going on today, as violently and relentlessly and shamelessly as it was done in the 1800s, I will concentrate the talk today on those bygone and yearned for days. Well, yearned for by some weirdos. The denial of rights that's going on before our eyes is in the news every single day. It can be easily followed along with. But these historical denials are fading from memory, and they do deserve a good hard look. If only to offer the root cause of the problem, which is just quite simply race and racial animosity. There is no other explanation, and oddly, oddly, no other explanation was ever offered. As a matter of fact and a matter of record, that philosophy, if you want to call it that, was trumpeted every time a group of whites, either local aspites or elected legislatures, crowed their success in keeping the black population under control. Control over the vo voice of the vote and the establishment of malicious-style police forces to control their behavior more. So uh, let's get ready and take a deep dive into this ugly, ugly business, shall we? So uh, I'm going to uh, concentrate this discussion today primarily on the state of Pennsylvania 
It's not because they were worse than other states. They were occasionally much worse and sometimes better. But because the majority of the journey saga takes place there in Pennsylvania, and it affects the lives of the Woodman family, their community, and their friends, their neighbors. So I just thought that would be appropriate. We'll touch on some of the other states. So anyway, way back in 1780, Pennsylvania passed what was called the Abolition Act that called for the gradual abolition of slavery across the state. We shouldn't forget that in those times, in the late 1700s, slavery was legal or tolerated in almost every state. The Pennsylvania Abolition Act, however, uh, oddly failed to make any mention of the political status of any blacks in the state, free or soon to be free. The Pennsylvania Constitution of 1776 said that any, quote, free men over 21, end quote, could vote in the state. Fearful whites said that the term free men did not and could not possibly refer to black citizens because of their prior status. That was even if they had never been held in bondage. It was just far easier for them to say that uh, no black man could vote. No black man could be considered as a free man for the purposes of this wording. The 1789 convention sought to clarify that language, but the uh, constitution that was drafted the following year waffled and passed the buck to the local authorities, which, as we know, uh, is never a good thing, as we see in the days that we live in now. Thank you, uh, Chief Justice Roberts. As a result, predictably, policies varied from county to county. For example, at this time, blacks could vote in Bucks, York, Dauphin, Cumberland, Juanita, Westmoreland, and Allegheny counties, and the rest just forbid it. Even in Philadelphia, which had the largest black population in the state by far, expressly forbid blacks to vote. At this time, Massachusetts was the only state to fully remove the color bar in law, while the states of Ohio and New Jersey specifically forbid black participation in politics. In 1796, residents of Huntington County specifically attempted to prod the state Senate into doing something and petitioned the state for, quote, funds to, quote, be prepared to assume the privileges and responsibilities of citizenship. So they wanted to uh, get the state to kick in a few bucks to make sure that uh, a lack of literacy could be a a cause for denial. But, of course, they were completely ignored, and the question was left once again to the whim of local white officials. So it went along like this until the very early 1830s, when the issue again percolated to the top of many other issues facing the state, as the unease whites felt about blacks having any say in their own lives or local politics finally boiled over. And it all started in Bucks County. So it really was very ironic 
that this unrest reached a peak in Bucks County, of all places, because before that time, it was home to the largest population of well-educated, business-owning black citizens who had never caused any trouble for anyone. They were just good taxpaying citizens going about their business. But it's my personal feeling, my personal feeling, that the same white resentment that fueled racial massacres later in such places as Tulsa and Tuscaloosa and Wilmington and other infa- infamous places was, uh, was at work here. And that is simply this, poor whites resented blacks for their achievements and success. Simple as that, really. really is. They were deeply offended that any black person could possibly be better off than any white person. So they conspired to destroy them. So while there was no massacre there in Bucks County, the results of this paranoid fear of the other were bad enough. Rumors were deliberately started that blacks from other counties were coming into Bucks and casting multiple votes. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Whig candidates' narrow victory over the pro-slavery Democrats caused them to invent these charges, although they were proven at that time to be lies, and that truth just fell on deaf ears. Again, does that sound familiar to anybody? It was also claimed that, quote, many blacks brought their rifles to the polls, which was probably true as it was the first day of hunting season, and they were anxious to get enough game to feed their families. It was uh, pointed out rather directly that an equal amount of white men also brought their rifles with them to the polls so they could go straight out to hunt after voting. But again, this obvious truth fell on deaf ears. A local man of influence, a man named Benjamin Lundy, pointed this easily verifiable fact to public attention, but was ignored. A local office seeker said that the, quote, streets will run with the blood of white citizens, end quote. If blacks were not denied to right to vote immediately, does that uh, sound familiar? And that's, uh, that's just one of the uh, first examples of playing the race card. It was plain successful much as it was in the uh, last governor's race down in Virginia in modern times. So I, uh, I want to read a bit from uh, Journey, the story of an American family, where this very subject comes up in the lives of the Woodmans and all the black folks in Pennsylvania. So let me set it up for you here a little bit. There uh, uh having a meeting of their uh, anti-slavery society. And I'm just going to jump right in uh, with the with starting place. How's that? So from the book Journey, recent events were causing a distinct change in the racial climate in their little town. It was subtle at first, but the changes were coming faster now, and none were for the good. Even though Governor Rittner had come out as an abolitionist and praised Pennsylvania for starting to outlaw slavery in his annual message to the state legislature, the atmosphere was changing everywhere and not just in their town. Constitutional convention was called for, and there was great relief at first in the black communities when black suffrage was not questioned. 
That soon changed as false charges were brought in a Bucks County election, and the convention heard speaker after speaker condemn the very notion of blacks voting. This was particularly bad news coming from Bucks County since it had the most affluent and professional black population of any place in the entire country, and they were considered to be valued members of that community. If the right to vote was in danger there, then smaller, less affluent black communities had much to fear. Increasingly, in many places, animosity both overt and covert was growing. The Nat Turner Rebellion in Virginia had started a slow, steady stream of fear and vitriol towards blacks on both sides of the Mason-Dixon line. The right to vote was mostly academic in a lot of small towns across Pennsylvania and New England. In reality, angry groups of white men often barred black citizens from exercising their rights. Connecticut was the first state to actually expressly forbid black Americans the right to vote way back in 1818. New Jersey followed suit in 1820, and now it seemed likely that Pennsylvania would follow down this path to second-class status for a good many of its citizens. The veteran James Fortin had served with distinction during the revolution, serving with Stephen Decatur, yet he, too, was blocked from voting, even though he was a very prominent citizen of Philadelphia with a large and well-known sale-making business. He petitioned the state to allow him his rights under the state constitution with such prominent men as John Beck and John B. Vachon of Pittsburgh backing him. James and many others in Gettysburg were cautiously optimistic that the legislature would do the right thing by him, especially with so many prominent men, both black and white, in his corner. It was at an evening meeting of the Adams County Anti-Slavery Society that the group of men who saw the struggle for freedom up close learned their fate at the hands of blind hatred and racism. McAllister himself brought them the news directly from an express rider they had sent to the meeting. It was well known and well discussed that the Constitutional Convention was meeting and among the many topics now being covered was black suffrage. Most were hopeful the law would remain unchanged. There was great anticipation among those gathered when James McAllister stood to read the dispatch to the group. It was obvious from his voice that the news was not good. This is from a reporter at the scene in Harrisburg, he said, waving the sheet of paper over his head. The room became very still. He writes to tell us of today's events at the convention. He looked down at the paper again and started to read. This morning, a Mr. E.T. McDowell of Bucks County began a debate on denying all black citizens their basic right to vote. A collective groan went up at the mention of Bucks County again. McAllister held his hand up for silence, then went on. Representative McDowell once again accused black citizens from neighboring communities of voting improperly in Bucks County, without any evidence of any kind, I might add. He then continued by saying that if the people of Bucks County allowed the black man to vote, then they would take over and whites would be forced to flee their homes. So as I, uh, as I recount there, the matter of black suffrage 
hadn't even been on the agenda after the summer recess, but when the uh, convention reconvened in October of 1837, the good folks from Bucks County asked that suffrage be granted only to white males over 21. And of course, that was passed over very loud and long objection. But it wouldn't have uh, mattered because the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court had already decided the issue when the Chief Justice sided with Judge Fox and agreed that blacks were not now or ever would be, quote, freemen. To ensure their agenda, a lawsuit was brought against Luzerne County since the rules actually allowed their black citizens to vote. In Fogg v. Hobbs, it was settled once and for all. There was to be no more black voting in Pennsylvania. Another smooth talking argument used was if blacks could vote, they could hold office, and they asserted that no white man would allow any black man to rule over him. They also countered with such crap as, well, not everyone is allowed to vote anyway. Women and children, they can't vote, so we can decide who votes because of that tradition. Also, it was said that uh, blacks could not vote because they were uneducated and lived in poverty. When it was argued that there were many successful black professionals and businessmen, especially in Bucks County, and that uneducated and impoverished whites could vote, they were ignored, of course. Again, like today, it goes back to the primal need to dominate others, a primal fear of the other, and a primal desire to stay within one's own narrow group. In other words, it is a sickness that has been with us ever since we stood upright. So, of course, the vote was denied again in 1845 and again in 1855. The Civil War came and gave hope, but it was a mirage. Even after Lincoln allowed blacks to enlist in 1862, the vote remained unattainable. The country, much as it does today, asked much and offered little. It was fine and noble to bleed for America, but just uh, just keep your place. Even into 1868 in the state legislature, a, a sort of renegade Republican guy named John Hickman offered up a bill to expand the vote permanently to allow for black suffrage, he could only get 12 votes. Just 12. The community did its best, of course, to uh, keep hope alive with meetings and speeches and more and more memorials and petitions, which were all totally ignored. In frustration, a group of prominent citizens of Philadelphia wrote a document entitled, quote, Memorial of 30,000 Disenfranchised Citizens of Philadelphia. End quote, and sent it to the U.S. Congress in Washington. It, too, was completely ignored. It would be many years until justice finally came to Pennsylvania and other northern states. And ironically, these same states were happy, happy, to force the idea of black suffrage on the Southerners with the 14th Amendment. But the uh, not-in-my-backyard was the attitude elsewhere, not they wouldn't allow it for their fellow Americans, wouldn't allow it for their neighbors, not for the shopkeeper that they traded with. Allowing blacks to vote was out of the question. Period. (laughs) 
Okay, boys and girls, you all know what time it is, don't you? It's time for the political rant. Yay! Okay, okay, everybody, settle down, settle down. I know you're getting excited. So let's get going. You know, I had an entirely different subject for this episode's rant, but recent news from DeSantis Dan, recent disturbing and disgusting news, just sort of became more important. It seems the uh, fluggish, fluggish, the thuggish Florida MAGA Nazis, try saying that five times real fast, they just rammed their vision of hatred through the school board, and it's now set as policy. I'm talking, of course, about the insane notion of teaching unfortunate middle schoolers trapped in that desert of fact down there that somehow enslavement was good for those who were enslaved, that the entire noble institution of slavery was beneficial to the average black man or woman held in this evil bondage, that the beatings, the rapes, the separation of family, the forced intercourse so that the owner could breed even more slaves for a business, all of this was done for the benefit of the black slaves. That was all done simply to help them. The denial of any kind of education, the quality and quantity of food and shelter that was available to them, the total dehumanization of the enslaved men, women, and children, all done to help the black race. Man, if you haven't vomited yet, you soon will. So here's some more ridiculous crap from uh, the forebears of these people. Draptomania. That's right, draptomania was a symptom of insanity, meaning that any enslaved person who wanted to flee their cruel bondage was uh, considered legally to be insane. This was the proposition of a noted psychologist of the time, a certain uh, Dr. Samuel A. Cartwright in 1851. Of course, in 1851, the trickle of runaways was uh, becoming more of a steady stream, so it became necessary to label those who ran, who sought freedom at any cost, as quite insane, since they were escaping the kind of people who held them in bondage for the sole purpose of helping them. Nice folks. The census of uh, 1840 is another shameful episode in our history. The wildly inaccurate count was used to say, even before Cartwright's bullshit science was published, that running away was surely a sign of mental disease. A study from that census purported to show that idiocy and lunacy were far more prevalent in free black people than in slaves. So, ergo, it must mean that somehow blacks were just not equipped mentally or physically for freedom. That indeed they were far better off as slaves. So, sad little Ronald has been uh, getting quite a bit of blowback, as well he should, and it should be relentless. I saw him recently in an interview where now that the world is pointing out to him that he is indeed a very hardcore MAGA Nazi, he's backing off and saying, and I'm quoting here, you have to ask them about it. I had nothing to do with it. He meant the, uh, the board that he appointed and rides like a mule. 
Now that's a powerful statement for a born from a born leader for you. Boy, he's got a he's got a real knack for it. The week before he was doubling down on his institutional racism gambit. Now this week he uh how do you put it? Oh yeah. I had nothing to do with it. Nice. Well anyway, uh let's get a quote. This so far this is what we have heard from the rest of the cult. I mean the uh the GOP. And again, I am quoting here directly. Yeah, like I said, that was a direct quote from the uh, good people at the RNC. Nice. People, we are once again facing a critical time here in this land that we all love and want to protect. It really is essential that Dirty Donnie be kept out of office, any office, anywhere. You don't have to imagine what would happen here if that were allowed to happen. He's bragged about it and flat out told us that he and he alone will call all the shots in every department, in every branch of the military, in every citizen's private life. No, you don't have to imagine it at all. Just listen to that big orange fruitcake. He will tell you his own self. I'm not concerned much about Ronald DeSantis, as he's uh, kind of self-destructing all by his lonesome and doing a really great job of it. You know, got to give him kudos for that. I'm sure by the time of the elections, he will be openly despised by the vast majority of people in America. Okay, sports fans, we've uh, we've reached the end of the episode, so it's time for a little shameless self-promotion here. So the announcement that I waited a couple of days for, I've just released a new book uh, that's from a completely different genre. As a lot of you know, I was a pilot for a long time, and as some of you may know, uh, the heyday of my career actually was uh, between 1974 and 76 when I was a uh, young airmail pilot and met some of the best friends a guy could have. So it's called Descent and tells the story of a young airmail pilot and the way life can just fall apart if you aren't careful. has some great authentic flying scenes in it, most from my own experience as a professional pilot for those 30 years. Set in the late 70s, and so therefore it has a lot of sex and drugs and rock and roll, as well as a lot of aviating in the night skies, mostly in antique radial engine airplanes. So grab a seat, buckle up, and hang on. It is one wild ride. You can check it out along with all the other books at www.gvbrights.com. All of them, all of them, all of them are free to you on KU. I like the sound of that. And royalties go to help kids stay in school in Malawi. Great read, good deed. I mean, what else can I say? So... If you'd like to be a part of this show sometime and record an interview, uh, just drop me a line at thepodcast at gvbrights.com, and we'll uh, we'll do that. If you'd rather just send me the email for me to read, uh, you can do that too, as long as it's uh, to the point and polite and doesn't contain any right-wing conspiracies or anything. Also, um, As I mentioned before, driving in Budapest is a favorite of book clubs. So if anybody out there would like to to do a remote book club, 
just uh, just drop me a line and and we will make that happen as well. So thank you for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Uh, you can reach me through the contact page at uh, www.gvbrights.com so you can leave uh, any comments, suggestions, uh, bad jokes, or good recipes because I'm, I'm a serious cook as well. So I'll say sayonara for now, and I'll see you in about uh, 10 days. Take care. <laughs>